Hey, good morning, everybody. Good to see you guys. Glad to be here with you. And uh, hey, I just want to take a second and address our online audience. We usually have anywhere between, I don't know, averaging 80, 90 people a week online watching live. So if you're watching live right now, hello, just give them a hand, hand wave, hand clap, something, you know. We know you're there. <laughs> We've got people from multiple states, multiple cities. Um, well, let me just talk to you guys for a second that are watching online. We're so glad that you're watching. Some of you are missionaries watching because you're not in a context where you get to be uh, at church. Some of you are family members from folks who come to see CVC, and CVC has been ministering to you, and we're, we're very grateful for that. Uh, some of you are being lazy. So, um, <laughs> hey, just just a reminder uh, that, that nothing replaces face-to-face, uh, face-to-face fellowship. So uh, we know that there's situations in some lives. Some people are in hospitals. They can't get to church. Some people just had newborn babies or have babies that can't be around germs, and, and, and this has been such a lifeline to them. Because you give here at CVC, because you support CVC, we can go out to them and be where they're at, which is a joy. But some of you, uh, you're just like, hey, I'm just going to do my coffee and pajamas and not going to church. Yeah, let's not have that. Let's just get right back in here, face-to-face fellowship, right? And uh, you get plugged in in person. So we're glad you're with us, though. Hey, another a couple things on family business here before I dive into the message. One, uh, we are wrapping up this Courageous Faith series and the next two weeks. Today, next week. Next week, amazing opportunity. We have a brother in Christ named Sanj Kalra coming. Uh, He works with Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. Guy travels the world sharing the gospel, sharing his story. If you guys have been looking for an opportunity to invite those friends you've been praying for and talking to about coming to church or watching online, Next week is a prime opportunity because this guy was raised Hindu, uh, came out of an extremely wealthy uh, scenario with business and in the medical field, and God just radically saved this guy. He's only been saved for about seven years, and now he's traveling the world telling people about Jesus with Ravi Zacharias. It's just, it's just crazy. And so you're going to love hearing from Stan next week, but it's not just for you. It's for those people who don't know the Lord to come and hear how God radically transformed a man's life and then he can share from uh, his transformation what Jesus has done in his life. So that's next week with Sanj Kalra. And then, of course, the following weekend, he's teaching a workshop from 10 to 12 just how to have courageous conversations, how to have courageous relationships with people, different faith backgrounds, different ways of thinking so that we can be very effective and loving and respectful in our efforts to tell people about Jesus. So that's coming up. And then that'll conclude this Unleashed series. And then we're going to be launching a new series called Unleashed. And so uh, with Unleashed, uh, some of you were here a couple months ago. You heard me uh, mention, hey, you're going to hear more about this. And so in a couple weeks, we're launching it fully. But basically, we are trying to eliminate our debt as a church. We have uh, some remaining debt we want to get rid of. It's kind of like a big rock in your shoe. It's not fun to run with rocks in your shoe because it hurts, kind of keeps you from going where you want to go. We want to get rid of this debt so we can repurpose some of our resources back into ministry. So we can make a greater difference in our neighbors, uh, with our neighbors, with the nations, and with the next generations. And so in your program, really fast, you have really what's just a one-sheet teaser. Uh, this is a little synopsis of what Unleashed is all about. We're going to go after some debt, plus we're going to raise up some extra funds uh, to basically invest them into our neighbors, our effort to reach our neighbors. We're going to talk about planting campuses and becoming multi-site in the future. We're going to be talking about nations and how we're going after people who've never heard about Jesus to share them the good news of Christ, and also how we can continue to invest in the next generations. That's what this whole Unleashed thing is about. Our guide through this series is going to be the book of Jonah. And in the book of Jonah, you really get a a, a sense for God's missionary heart. And so we're going to look at how God calls a man to be on mission and how that man goes, "Uh, no, I'm going to go the other way. 
And how God says, no, you're going to go the way I sent you. And so we're going to crack that open in a couple weeks, and it's going to be an exciting time together. But this sheet will be just a great way to get you thinking about that and getting online with that. So uh, with that being said, uh, we're going to jump into today's message. Now, there's a lot of situations like this that are continuing to happen. But about a year ago, prior to graduation, there's a high school just south of Youngstown called East Liverpool High School of Ohio. And for 70 years, East Liverpool would sing the Lord's Prayer as part of the graduation ceremony. And so last year, this organization came to the administration of the school called the Freedom From Religious Foundation, Religion Foundation, and they basically said, hey, you can no longer do that. We know you've been singing the Lord's Prayer for 70 years in your school, but it violates church and state, and you can't do that anymore. Now, if you've ever really read the church and state document, you know that that is not a violation of the church and state. That is waved around like a big intimidating stick. And when you really understand the heart behind that, that's, that's not what's being said. And on top of that, uh, the administration looked at the situation going, ah, this doesn't feel good. And they said, we're, we're on limited funds. And so if we have to choose between paying teachers or paying lawyers, we're going to pay teachers. And so they said, we're not going to get in the legal hassle of it, so strike it. We, we won't do the Lord's uh, Prayer for the first time in 70 years, you know, after graduation. And so the day of graduation comes. All the parents are in, you know, the, the bleachers. Everyone's watching the graduation. The whole class comes in. The class sits down. The valedictorian gets up. Then the whole class stands up, and they recite the Lord's Prayer on their own. The students did it, you know? <laughs> and it's like, yeah, that's what we're talking about. And so uh, you, know, you look at that situation, and you're going, these people are going, okay, the administration wasn't going to touch it, but the students, I love that, the students said, no, this is important to us. This is something we want, we believe is a tradition, we want to hold it. And they did it. And then, of course, the parents were cheering and standing ovation, all that kind of stuff. And, and we celebrate that. But we know that the, the, the threat against religious liberties continues to try to push forward. And we live in an era where situations like that increase. And as we know, the freedom to live according to your biblical convictions and expressions is increasingly being encroached on. And to live as a person and for us to live as a community with a biblical worldview uh, always has and always will go against the grain of culture. It just always will. It's not, it's not like we wake up going, oh man, today persecution unlike ever before. I'm like, have you read the Bible? Have you read Christian history? And, and yeah, there, there's incredible martyrdom and persecution going on right now that we need to be aware of and prayerful of, but it's not new. The frequency, the intensity, those things might ebb and flow, but this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And it's one of those things that we don't do well. It's like everyone says, hey, just pray this prayer, and then you're going to be following Jesus, and it's all good. And it's like, wait a second, it's going to come with some discomfort. It's going to come with some sacrifice to be a follower of Jesus. And so what I'm basically saying is your faith is going to be tested, right? Your faith is going to be tested. It's going to be tested by external circumstances. Some of those are just things that happen in our life that, that basically reveal what we really believe. They reveal who or what we're really trusting in. Some of those things are going to be adversarial in nature. They're going to tell you, you need to sit down and you need to be silent like this situation, where other things are just going to create that big why question, like, man, life's hard. Why, why, am, I, you know, why, is, why am I not getting a job? Why can't I get a job? Why is my marriage on the rocks? Why is this sickness in my life? And all of a sudden, you're like, there's just this stuff. What do I do with it? What do I do with that? 
But your faith is going to be tested by adversity on some level. And maybe that test will be private and mild, or maybe it'll be massive. Maybe it'll go public. But either way, expect that your faith will be tested. And so we've been in this series called Courageous Faith. And we're looking at this life of a man named Daniel and some of his friends who was having, they were having their faith tested in a massive way. And even though this book was written right around 530, 540 BC, we still see how to be a follower of the living God doesn't come without sacrifice. It doesn't come without testing. And so we have to understand that a courageous faith, we love the sound of that, like, yeah, courageous faith. A courageous faith is a tested faith. Let's get that clear, right? The courageous faith is a tested faith. And what happens is when our faith is tested, it reveals whether we have deep roots of trust, in, just, just rooted in God. We trust God. Or it reveals whether our faith is this veneer, just a nice little shiny surfacey thing. Hey, we, we, do, we do our church thing. You know what? We've got a couple little Christian verses on the wall. Every now and then I actually crack open a Bible. I say a little prayer before my meal. Maybe, maybe, you know, I, um, I have like a Christian candle that like, you know, you know, a Christian perfume, little stickers, I got yeah, a cross tattoo, like that's great and all, there's nothing wrong with those things, but when the, when the stuff hits the fan, now let's see what we really believe. A courageous faith is a tested faith, and what we hope is when that faith is tested, it's going to produce a testimony. Now, this isn't a new phrase, and just as I studied it the last week or so, it just kept coming back to my mind, and I'm going, there's times we have to pull back things we've heard before to, to go, oh yeah, that's still true, that we want to see when the tests come, we have to see those tests become a testimony. And the testimony is this, it's a testimony of a transformed life because of a faithful God, or it's a testimony of a faithful God who creates a transformed life. Either way, we need to allow these tests that come into our life be a testimony of who God is and what he does in our life. And that's what this chapter in Daniel is going to be like. So open up your Bibles with me to Daniel chapter 6 for a minute. And while you guys are opening to Daniel 6, I just want to share my heart a little bit here. I'm kind of on a roll sharing my heart on a couple things. Um, we've been sitting under some great teaching from some of our pastors the last few weeks. Aren't you glad that God's given us just a team of pastors that can open the word? Man, I'm so grateful, so grateful for that. But the, the nice thing is that when I get to sit and listen to teaching and, and, and be part of the congregation on some of these mornings when I'm not leading, I look around. You go, ah, you do look around. Yeah, eyes on you. We got you, okay. I look around, and, and one of the things I've been noticing is I don't see enough Bibles in this room. Like, we're Christians. We're, we're followers of the living God. We're students of Jesus. We're students of his word. And so all of us need to have a Bible. You know, I like to use a Bible app on my device because I can lock in my notes and I don't have papers falling everywhere and I can pull up notes from like two years ago, like a click of a button. I love that. I love using a device. Nothing replaces getting my hands on a real Bible, though. Like in my house, when I just curl up on the couch or I go sit outside, I just, that sound of those pages, right? The sound of the pages and the flipping and turning and the highlighting and this is God's word. But there's Sundays where I'm going, some of you have been coming here for months or years, you're not bringing a Bible, you don't have a Bible app, and you rely on the screen. What happens when the screen goes away? 
I'm just here to tell you, if we don't get you in the Word where you're opening it, we're going to tell you to open up a book. You'll be like, I have no clue where that's at because it's not on the screen. And so the screen's here to help, but it's to supplement your time in the Word. So hopefully you hear my heart on this. Like, make sure you have a Bible. Make sure you have a Bible app and you're in it. So open up those Bibles or Bible apps to Daniel chapter 6. If you're a guest or if you're new in the faith or if you're just checking it out, we'd love to give you a Bible for free. You don't have to do anything. Push-ups, money, nothing, all right? And so just go to the information center and go, where's the free Bibles? We'll give you one. We want you to have a Bible of your own. But we're in Daniel chapter 6. Look at verses 1 through 5 with me as we continue in this Courageous Faith series looking a little bit more at this life of this man named Daniel. Daniel 6, verses 1. I'm just going to read and talk through this a little bit. Uh, It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give an account, so that the king might not suffer, the king might suffer no loss. Let's stop. So here's the deal. Uh, Daniel is a Jewish man who was taken in captivity by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, right, into Babylon. So now they're in Babylon. Of course, the Babylonians were then taken over by the Medo-Persians, and who they put in place now is King Darius. And so now you got Daniel, who was chilling in Jerusalem, was taken to Babylon, and now Babylon's been taken over by the Persians, and so we've got Darius now who's in charge. And Darius says, okay, I've got this big country, this big responsibility. I'm going to divide it into 120 little provinces. And I'm going to put a leader over each one of those provinces. And so I'm going to use these satraps, which is kind of like a governor, all right? So I've got these governors now in place. And I'm going to take three guys, and I'm going to put them over the 120 governors, the 120 satraps. And so I'm going to have these kind of like three vice president type guys to oversee them. And Daniel is now one of these men. Now look at verse 3. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit, right? This this integrity, this this character that God has in him was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. That's crazy, huh? Going from Jerusalem as a slave and an exile to being the second guy in charge over an entire kingdom. This is what's in the queue. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful. And no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we should not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. All of a sudden, you see jealousy and ambition start to brew, right? You ever felt outnumbered? Daniel's got now 122 people that don't have his back. In fact, they want to stab him in the back. Problem is they can't find anywhere to put the knife, right? He's a man of great character. I mean, we can't find a flaw in this guy. And we don't know what motivated these people. It might have just been authority and position and this high official saying, like, I'd like to get you up here, but I got this Daniel guy. Maybe Daniel's going, wait a second, the king's making sure that you guys aren't stealing money. I'm going to make sure that's happening. Maybe he's blocking some of their embezzlement, some of their other corruption stuff. We don't know, but they don't want Daniel where he's at. But they can't find a way to get rid of him. And so they have to engineer a plot. And they engineer a plot of entrapment. How how can we trap Daniel somehow with his religion? And so they connive this little plan, and basically a summary of what happens next is then they go to Darius. They go, Darius, we have have an idea. We would like you to write an irrevocable 
30-day law. Like that right there should just be like flags, right? Like 30-day law. Like what's up with that? You know, who writes 30-day laws? Yeah, 30 days and no one can pray to anyone else or seek, you know, intercede to anyone else except with you. Like you're the king. You're, you're like God to us. And so let's just write this 30-day law that no one prays to anyone else other than you. And if they do, it's execution. It's the death sentence via lion. And Darius, uh, we don't know why, motivated by ignorance, naivety, maybe pride, maybe he's feeling flattered. That's a good idea. Let's go ahead and put that law in place. So they craft this law together, 30-day law. No one's going to pray to anybody but me. This sounds like a deal. Where's my ring? Done. Let's do this, okay? Now they've got their plan. Now they've got their trap. They're waiting for Daniel to step into it. You know, have you ever had that type of scenario brew where you were having people or a person just kind of conniving and betraying you behind your back, you know, wanting to see your failure. It's not a good feeling. It's not good to know that you're being betrayed or people are plotting against you. And so Daniel's sitting here wondering what's going on, right? Well, we'll see what he does next. Two very profound verses. Look at Daniel 6, verses 10 to 11. When Daniel knew, that's important. Daniel didn't accidentally do what he's about to do next. He knew. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows and his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. Read the next part with me. As he had done previously. This isn't new, right? Okay, this isn't new. Verse 11. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Of course they did. <laughs> See what happened here is these guys put together a situation that was designed to intimidate, designed to threaten, designed to conform Daniel into a little box or to trap him in his own faithfulness to God. And Daniel wasn't going to have it. He didn't give in to what I would call fear pressure. You know, we talk a lot about peer pressure, Right? You know, uh, I made this decision because of what my peers are doing. You know what peer pressure really is at its root? It's fear pressure. You're afraid to stand out. You're afraid to make a stand. You're afraid of what other people are going to think. You're afraid to be left out. All these kinds of things. Peer pressure is fear pressure. But this is fear pressure as in, if you do this, you will die. So there's some valid fear here probably. I don't think Daniel just went up there going like, oh, this is no big deal. He probably realized, okay, this is probably going to cost me my life. But we look at this title, Courageous Faith, and go, we know that courage isn't the absence of fear. It's doing the right thing in the face of fear. And so he wasn't going to give in to the fear pressure. And we look a little bit about what he did. It says that he gave thanks to God. You see that right there? He, he didn't climb into, his, into a little hole in his house and start wailing, like, oh, God, why me? You know, He was thanking God. When's the last time you thanked God for the hardship in your life? That, that's, that takes maturity and trust to do that right? That's, that's a hard thing for us to do. But he's thanking God. He's making petition. He, he's, he's asking on behalf of others, the, the other people of Israel, about, about them. He's making a plea to God's mercy. We're going to get more of a glimpse of Daniel's prayer life in, in Daniel 9 in a second. But right now we see that Daniel has this robust, mature prayer life. So basically, if we summarize what happens next, this is exactly what those satraps and those high officials were waiting for. Caught Daniel praying. So they caught him praying, and then they run off, and they tattletailed to King Darius to, hey, King Darius, remember that little 30-day law that you wrote up? Guess what? We got one. Daniel. Daniel's breaking your law. And remember, this law can't be revoked, so you have to act on it. 
And this really bums Darius out because Darius likes Daniel. He likes Daniel. He doesn't want to throw you know, him down to, you know, his, you know, to become kitty food for his lions. Like he, he likes Daniel. But now he's in this situation, this rock in a hard place, and he has to act on the law. Let's see this play out. Let's see this play out. Look at verse 16 with me. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. Let's just stop there. We talk about these tests becoming a testimony. How, how is it that Darius right here can say that the God whom you serve continually. Why would he know that? Like, this isn't new information to Darius. Darius was very aware of Daniel's belief system. He was aware that the character and the worth deck and all the, stuff, all the work stuff that he saw was tied to this God who Daniel continually served. And so you see here that the, he, this test is already revealing a testimony that he has with Darius. In fact, the test is a testimony that even his enemies knew about his faithfulness to God. Otherwise, they wouldn't have crafted a trap that involved his faithfulness to God. So this test is already a testimony for him. Let's see what continues. Verse 17, And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, and that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions, Right? No, no dancing girls, no feasts, no wine, no, none of the stuff that kings typically had in their palace, none of the stuff. No diversions were brought to him, and slept, um, sleep fled from him. He was tormented that, that he was basically putting to death an innocent man. Verse 20, or 19. Then, at break of day, the king arose. He just put on his king's slippers and just jetted right to the den, you know, right to the den, right? He went in haste to the den of lions, and as he came near the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared, O oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? You know that he probably didn't expect to hear an answer, right? Like, you know this is a, this is a cry where he's going, there's no way this is true, but just in case, Daniel, are you there? And then he looked back, Daniel said to the king, what's up, king? kind of implied in the original language. <laughs> o king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths. They've not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I've done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. And so Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him. Read this with me. Because he had trusted in his God. What a testimony. What a te when we look at Daniel, we go, that's, that's the kind of testimony I want. Like, the, just trust God like that. But you can't have that kind of testimony without this kind of test. And so we got to be careful what we ask for. Like, Lord, I want my life to just be a testimony for you. And the Lord's like, all right, all right, we can arrange that. There's going to be some tests that come. I want to notice a couple things. Daniel passed this test. But remember in school, sometimes you get a two-part test. It's kind of like pass part A, pass part B, and then you pass the whole test. This is one of those tests that he passed, but really it's kind of a two-fold passing that I want to show you guys right here. He passed this test, but it was really the pass of two tests. One, he passed the character test. It's hard to have a testimony without a character. Like, as we try to live for the Lord, if, if we live for the Lord in such a way that our character is marred by 
um, inconsistency. Our character is marred by sin. Character is marred by behavior that would embarrass Jesus, not exalt Jesus. It's hard to have a testimony without good character. But we see that Daniel passes that test. Look at this. He's reliable, right? He's got reliability. He, he served Nebuchadnezzar, did well. He served Belshazzar, Nebuchadnezzar's son, did well. And now he's serving Darius, and he's doing well. Credibility. He's got a good reputation. He's trustworthy. I want you to understand something. Credibility is built, right? That credibility isn't something you just wake up with one day. Like if when you, the first time you got your very first job, you didn't just walk into the, to the guy's office who never knew you before and he or she said, you know what? I think you're credible. Let's hire you. You had to build up credibility. Daniel has built up credibility here. This is a long journey. He's in, he's in it for the long game. He's in the long journey with just single steps of obedience. Like you and I get this vision of, 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 of this faithfulness that we want to have for the Lord, but we forget that following Christ is for the long game, right? It's the long game. How do we do well in the long game? Just one little step of obedience at a time. Well, what happens if I trip and fall down? Get up. What happens if I veer off and start doing the wrong thing? Well, get back on the right track. Isn't that so cool that God allows that? He doesn't smite us for like, you know, messing up. He's like, he invites us back in. And so Daniel's got all these steps of faithfulness. Uh, just on that note, a lot of times you'll see a picture of Daniel in the lion's den, like if Sunday school classes and stuff. You'll see this young, strapping young man in the lion's den. <laughs> that is so inaccurate. Daniel here is somewhere between 80 and 90 years old. Like, they probably thought they would probably kill him just putting him in the den. Like, well, he broke all his bones. I guess he didn't make it, you know? He's an old guy. And it's so cool because here he is. He's, he's in cue to be the, reign, uh, the ruler over the kingdom. He's outperforming all the young bucks, right? That motivates some of us in our senior years. Like, oh, yeah, that's right, you know? He's outperforming all the young bucks. He's got this credibility. How does he have this credibility? Because for all these years, 60 to 70 years of faithful walking has given him credibility. And he's got responsibility. He's got good work ethic. He's, he's not the guy who's going to fall asleep on the job. He's got integrity. He's got integrity. He's the same man praying in his home as the same man who's serving Darius the king. Integrity is that when we are the same people in private and public, it's hard to have a testimony because if your character is off, the test will reveal the discretion. Integrity means that when you're tested and that test turns into that testimony, that the same person in private is the same person in public. And here's the way it works. If the test is going to reveal fault, it's going to show that the person in private's the real person. And the image that you're trying to manage in public gets shredded away to reveal who we really are. And we know who we really are. Aren't we grateful for God's grace and mercy and love for us? <laughs> and so Daniel's a man of integrity. You know, part of me just, part of me personally just gets this image of, of Daniel in this moment. Like, okay, we got this 30-day law. Anyone who prays to someone else, they're going to get thrown into the lion's den. I'm like, oh, Daniel's going, you got to be kidding me. Daniel's got grit, I think. I think he's going, okay, let me get this straight. So I'm taken as a teenager away from Jerusalem as an exile, right? You strip me away from my land, take me from my family, take me from my friends, plop me over here in Babylon. 
Then you start like indoctrinating me in everything Babylonian. You change my name. You change my clothes. You change my language. You want me to change my food, but I put the stake in the ground there and said, please let me not eat the food you want. Let me trust my God here, right? One of those steps of obedience. Okay, fine. Eat your veggies. Okay. He demonstrated God's faithfulness. And then it's like, okay. Then after that, the king has a dream and nobody knows what the dream is, but he wants it interpreted. And because no one can, he's going to kill everybody, including me. I'm going to die. So I have to ask God to show me the dream, tell me the dream, so I can tell the king. Okay, that was pretty hard to do, but God was faithful. And then on top of that, my buddies are out there, and Nebuchadnezzar, in his ego, builds a statue he wants everybody to worship to, and they didn't bow when everyone else bowed, and they're thrown in the fire thinking, we're not going to make it, but if we do, praise God, and if we don't make it, praise God. And they make it, and then on top of that, the king has more you know, bad dreams, and I'm called up to tell him the bad news, and after that, his son, you know, he runs off. His son is here, and his son's a jerk face. And, you know, and I've got to, like, deal with this guy who's drinking out of the holy vessels. And this hand starts writing stuff on the wall. And I'm called up to write on the wall. And, and you want me to be afraid to pray because you're going to threaten me that I might get eaten by lions. That's funny. He's got this grit. I almost just see this gritty, like kind of like those, those, those old veteran soldiers, you know, they've been through like five wars going, you want to do what? This is gritty Daniel going, bring it on. Bring it on. Bring it on. Why? Because there's this integrity of trust in the Lord. So he's passing this character test. Look at verses four and five with me again. Look at verses four and five. Oh, that this could be said of all of us. And the satraps are looking for a place to stick their knife. They could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful. Notice it doesn't say he was perfect. He was faithful. And no error or fault was found in him. Can that be said of you? Not perfection, but that you're the same person in private and public. Can our spouses look at us and go, I can say that of you. Can your kids and grandkids look at you and say, I can say that of you? Can your best friends look at you and say that of you? Do the people you work with, the people you live next to, can, can they say that of you? Hey, look, I don't know a lot about you, but you're a good person. Uh, there's just something about you. You know what? You've always come across as a person who keeps their word. All those types of things. We, we don't do that because we're trying to get to God. Uh, we, we want that to come across because we know God. That's the testimony. And so may we be the people who pass this character test like Daniel did, but he also passed the other part of this test, which is the trust test. This trust test where he really trusts God. He's basically saying, the heavenly king I serve is far superior to any earthly king I've ever going to serve. And what I love about this moment is that Daniel could have compromised. Daniel could have said, okay, 30 days. I've been praying for years. You know what? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to pray in secret. I'm just going to pray in secret. Nobody has to see it. Or he could have said, you know what, uh, God, you know my heart. You, you know I love you. Uh, I'm just going to press pause on this prayer thing for 30 days, all right? In fact, he could have justified it. He said, God, it just makes sense that I would do more work for you if I'm alive than dead. And if I'm in next in line for the kingdom, then it makes more sense that if I just listen and compromise, then I'm going to be put in a bigger position with a bigger platform. I can make a bigger difference even, God. So I'm just going to just chill right now for 30 days, but you know my heart. He didn't do that. He didn't budge. Why? Because he trusted God. He said, God, you've been so faithful to me. You've been there for me through all this stuff. How, how dare I 
leave you, abandon you, stop talking to you because these guys are trying to put fear pressure on me. No way. And he just trusted God. And so when he went up to his room and he opened his windows and he hit his knees and three times a day started praying, you know what that was? It was defiance in one sense, but it was absolute trust in another. Guys, I need to grow in that kind of trust. Do you? And just trusting God. And it's so interesting to look at this behavior because this is where we get legalistic. Like, all right, I guess we're supposed to pray three times a day. This is what's so interesting. People look at the first chapter of Daniel and they look at the veggie thing. And they go like, oh, See, that's God's way he wants us to eat. So we're going to create a diet based on the Daniel plan, and we're going to create the Daniel food plan, which is fine. It's good. I'm not knocking it. It's just the nature of people. So you know what? You're not really eating well unless you're eating God's way, which is like, you know, the veggies only thing, okay? And all our vegan friends go, yes, you know? And vegetarians go, yes. But then we come over here on the other side, and go like, oh, but Daniel's praying three times a day. I haven't really seen too many people talking about that. (laughs) Well, you're just not really having a close walk with God unless you're praying three times a day, morning, noon, and night. So funny how we pick and choose, isn't it? So funny how we prioritize different things, physical over spiritual. So you look at this moment, and like, why, why is he doing what he's doing? Why is he facing Jerusalem? Well, about 500 years before, King Solomon dedicated the very first temple. And when he did, he, he did this dedication prayer. And you, don't, you can turn there in your Bibles if you want, or you can just listen, but basically in 1 Kings chapter 8, What Solomon says is, uh, in verses 46 to 50, he basically says, if an army ever takes you out of Israel, wherever you're at, may those people look toward Jerusalem, may their hearts, may their their bodies physically posture to a place that's near and dear to their hearts, and may this be a reminder of how to pray for them. And so their hearts are drawn to Jerusalem, 1 Kings 8, and, and pray that way. And when you pray, pray for repentance, pray for God's mercy, pray for all these things. And of course, uh, we don't see any biblical commandment to pray three times a day. Daniel just is. We believe it's probably tied to Jewish tradition. The morning and the noon and the evening sacrifice was a time where prayers went up to God. And so this might just become part of the rhythm of culture, morning, noon, night. And so this is probably what's informing Daniel's prayer life. But, if you, but I don't know, there's times I'm like, well, what was he praying? Like exactly? Like, like how did Daniel pray? Turn to Daniel 9 really fast. Just turn forward a few chapters. Turn to Daniel 9. There's a lot of verses here. Let's just look at a couple. This gives us a glimpse of how. We we see that Daniel prayed. We see kind of uh, how he prayed physically in a sense. But like, what did he say? He did exactly what King Solomon um, encouraged them to do in 1 Kings. Look at Daniel 9.3. He says, Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting, a sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. You see, you get a glimpse of his prayer life. He's he's coming to God going, God, you're awesome. You're amazing. You're king of kings. You're Lord of lords. You're awesome, God. You know what? We've run from you. We've rebelled against you. We confess that. I confess that on behalf of my people, not just me, but our people. This is a little taste of what Daniel's prayer life is about. What I love is this consistency that we see, though, right? The consistency we see in his prayer life. It says that he prayed as he always had done. This just reminds us, is prayer a last resort or a first response in our life? Daniel didn't get this crisis and go like, ah, I don't know what else to do. I I guess I'll pray. The situation came down. First thing he did, he went and prayed. 
After the document was signed, what did he do? He went to his room and prayed. It's the first response. I need to grow in first response prayer. I'm assuming a lot of us do. Like, God, how can I just be in prayer relationally and out of a priority in my life? He also was a man of prayer. He didn't just pray. It wasn't just an occasional prayer. You know that Daniel prayed regularly. And so he's a good model. He's a good example of what God would want us to do. Well, what was the outcome of this test? Because he, he, he had the testimony of that character. He had this testimony of the trust. What was the outcome? Go back to Daniel 6. Look at verses 25 with me. 625, it says, Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, this is after he pulled him out of the lion's den, right? And the nations and the languages that dwell in the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and earth. He who saved Daniel from the power of the lions. It's quite the evangelism strategy, by the way. Hey, I'm just going to go and get put on death row. And then you know, pray, people are going to look at me and praise God. It's like interesting. But look at this testimony that Daniel has. You've got a pagan king giving glory to God because of Daniel's testimony of character and trust. Guys, that's what our life should be like too. We're not different than Daniel. Different time, different situation, different tests. But the tests that come into our life, man, they're designed to glorify God and become a testimony that God's worthy and that we can trust him. And that because of his worthiness, he's transformed us and people see our character. And it's just this big arrow to God. There's a God. There's a God. There's a God who loves us and transforms us. He's there for us. This is the testimony that's happening here. This is what Jesus told us, right? Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, he said, in the same way, right? He's talking about um, some, some teaching he's doing there. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your fathers who's in heaven. And so the, the reason our hope that people will see our life is that God will get the glory, not us, that God will get the glory somehow. And so he passed the test. So this is the life message that we're just wrapping everything around. Let your test become a testimony. Let the faithfulness of God be played out in your life in such a way that you trust him. And you won't budge when you're called to compromise. You are going to be intimidated, threatened. You're going to be uh, lured into trying to compromise your biblical stance in this world today. Will you pass the test trust? Will you pass the character test so that God gets glory? I hope we can. And for some of you who are sitting here who don't even know the Lord, part of this is like you can't have that character without that relationship. You can't have that testimony. You can't experience his faithfulness without that relationship. And so he's inviting you in. And as I was studying this, I just found an interesting similarity. It's not a parallel. It's just a similarity. I looked at Daniel. Okay, innocent guy, did nothing wrong. People... Uh, betray him. The outcome of that betrayal is that he's put on death row, sentenced to death. And what they do is they throw him in a pit and they roll a stone over him thinking that he's dead. And then the next day, that stone gets moved and to everybody's surprise, he's alive. And he's pulled out of that pit and he's put in a great place of position and authority, if you read the last verse of this chapter, 
and it makes a difference to glorify God. I went, oh, that sounds very interesting. I just love how God, I think, gives us these little like appetizers, right? God loved us so much. And our sin, who keeps us away from God, he's decided he's going to remedy. And here comes Jesus, the perfect man, the God and man combined, perfect, innocent, betrayed, arrested, sentenced to death, hung on a cross for our sins. Then they put him in a tomb, put a stone in front of it, thinking, we're done, game over. Jesus says, not true. Stones rolled away. Jesus is alive, to everybody's surprise. Now, Daniel never died. Jesus says, I'm going to one up Daniel. Watch this, I'm going to actually die. And then resurrected, and come back to life. And walks around for 40 days, showing people his resurrected body to give evidence that he has victory over sin and victory over death. Like, I just love those similarities that we see here. And so as believers, we go, oh, that's so cool. And as unbelievers, it's God's continued invitation to you to say, I love you. I died for you. I rose for you. I, I want you to have this testimony and experience my faithfulness. But we have to make that jump. Here's a couple applications for you. This application is this. For the next 30 days, this, this by the way, is, a, is a, a suggestion. It's not a prescription from Daniel. It's an application opportunity, all right? For the next 30 days, because there was a 30-day edict for Daniel. So let's just go with 30 days for us. In the next 30 days, would you be willing to pray three times a day? Just like Daniel. Take it to Daniel prayer time. Some of us are like, I already do that. Easy for you then. Some of you are like, three? I'm like 20 times a day. Awesome. You've got it covered. Some of you are going, three? All right, got to set my phone alert, you know? Got to make sure. That's okay. If that's what you need to do, do it. And some of you think, well, what am I going to pray about? Well, take a page out of Daniel's book, literally here, okay? Pray, pray for God's mercy in your life and the life of the people you know and love. Pray, pray, pray prayers of confession. And I'd invite you to start to even pray right now over these, these unleash areas. We want, we want to be more effective when it comes to our neighbors. Maybe in the morning, pray for your neighbors. Pick a neighbor for every morning, all right? Midday, Pray for the nations, the, the nations out there that don't know Jesus. Pray for Indonesia, the island, pro island that we've adopted in Indonesia. Just bombard that island with your prayers. If we all prayed every day at noon, if I knew that when I prayed at noon and you're praying at noon in your office or in your home, we're all praying for Indonesia at noon for the next 30 days, I think God's going to be like, all right, you guys mean business. Evening, pray for the next generation. If you've got kids, pray with the next generation. Just, just, just seek the Lord. And so that's one of the applications. So walk out of here saying, I'll pray 30 days, three times a day. I'll pray for the nations. I'll pray for my neighbors. I'll pray for the next generations. And that'll be a great application. But ultimately, guys, we're all going to walk out of here and be tested. We've got to be determined. Lord, because you're faithful, I'm going to allow that test to become a testimony of your faithfulness and your transformation in my life. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your faithfulness. Lord, we can't even talk this way without you being a faithful God, a holy God, a consistent God, an awesome God. You're so good to us. Thank you, Father. Lord, I pray right now for those who don't know you as Savior, whether they're watching online or whether they're here in this room. Father, they don't know you, that they'll take another step towards you, whatever that looks like. If that's a spiritual conversation, if that's a little bit of research, a little bit of Bible study. Lord, if that's uh, the next step saying, I'm ready to receive Christ. Whatever that step is, Lord, draw them to you. Father, for anyone who's been estranged from you, Lord. God, just, just bring them back. Let them have a sweet reunion with you. God, may this prayer life, may the test that they have been going through now become a testimony and their prayer life become a way to on-ramp them back into intimacy with you. And Father, for those of us who are walking closely with you right now, God, may we step up our prayers. May we be encouraged by our brother Daniel 
and how to pray and why to pray and to let the tests that come into our life become testimonies of your goodness and faithfulness in us. We ask this in Jesus' name. We all say together, amen.